What's up, folks? Thank you for hitting the high notes with us. It is the Hitting the High Notes Jazz Utah Jazz Podcast. It is I, Hootran. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hootran Superman. You can follow this podcast at Jazz High Notes. And um, uh, the Jazz are hitting the high notes right now. They're riding a little mini win streak. They've uh, got a, uh, they got a big win against the Clippers over the weekend. They actually haven't played in a few days. Um, it's weird. Um, uh, the Jazz not playing back to backs or every other day. Uh, this must be what the regular uh, NBA and uh, a regular NBA <laughs> schedule feels like. Uh, and um, I'm joined here with the lady killer himself. What's up, Jared Barker? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, you know I'm doing all right. We you know it's been a busy holiday weekend. Uh, we did a, a did an emergency trade podcast after Exxon was traded last week. Uh, we've had a, a week and a half off, but. Uh, if you follow the Jazz High Notes Twitter, we've been um, uh, posting some old episodes with some, some favorite guests of ours. So uh, I just listened to the Real McCoy one today. It was a good one. I, I really like that episode. So hoping to have Real McCoy back on again sometime soon. Oh, man. She's so fun to talk to. She's she's awesome. Uh, but, you know, we do have a brand new guest today and a new guest to the show that has not been on. Part-time producer at 12 of The Zone. What's up, Brian? What's up, Brian? Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I, you know, it's funny. I used to have to beg people on Twitter to be on a podcast, and now, you know, it's just the doors have opened for me, and I've arrived because I'm on with you two. Yeah, well, we're we're, we're knocking on your door um, uh, to get you Dude, on here. You're so. a boss. Yeah, we're glad to have you, man. You're just Twitter legend. You've been around forever, man. Yeah, that's a nice way of saying that I'm really old. Probably too old for Twitter, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, tell us. Uh, um, uh, uh, He's not much older than you're. Not much older than who and I. Who and I are both kind of old for Twitter, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's you know I was listening to uh, uh, is it Matt Sanchez that does the he does another podcast too. The jazz, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just jazzed, yeah. And he was talking to Lex, and it's just like she's talking about the original days of Twitter, and I'm like, I wonder how many people on Twitter realize that my my current Twitter account is was actually a jazz only account to start with. So like that's how old I was is that it was like 2009. I remember my first two interactions oh. were Jody Genesee and oh. Clint Peterson. Because, so. you... Oh wow. Yeah, that's, super that's old. Awesome. <laughs> Are you talking about your uh, your Brown Bear SLC um, uh, uh, handle? Yeah, originally it was Brown Bear underscore Jazz. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so you decided to make it all make it all Salt Lake City based, huh? <laughs> well, my, you know, the bulk of my knowledge is probably in football, and and as I started to cover Utah football more for UZone.com, uh, part of the twenty four seven Sports Network, uh, like having a Jazz specific account didn't make much sense. But you know, I I'd, I'd acquired a couple of followers by then, so it was just easy to turn that over. Yeah. So I mean, this is like this is. This is my first interaction with. Uh, I've seen you around, obviously. Uh, if you're on Jazz Twitter long enough, you see um, uh, these names pop up on brackets and everything. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, uh, yeah, so you're you're a big um, uh, jazz fan. Um, when did you start watching the jazz? Ooh, um, so I was talking about this with my family the other day. The first time I remember going to a jazz game was at the Salt Palace. Um, and, nice. And yeah, we would. It was actually probably the coolest experience that I'd had um, as as a kid growing up. We'd had courtside seats. A family friend had 
right there, center court. Um, and before the game, I'd bought a little mini jazz basketball. And one of the people that I was with was trying to convince me to swap it for the, the actual NBA ball that they were using. And I was so scared that I was like shaking, holding my ball. But um, that's the first kind of jazz memory I have. Obviously, you know, growing up in the 90s, everybody watched the jazz in the, in the John and Carl area, era when they were in the finals. And then I think really when I kind of got invested in the jazz really deeply was that AK Boozer, D. Will, Ronnie Brew team, you know, Memo, that, that, that team was really the one that kind of, um, I guess, popped the lid off my jazz fandom. Yeah, I, I I love that team too. That because I was in college when that team was um, playing, and that's when I was a, a way more emotional fan. Like, you know, I, I remember the Jazz getting the playoffs against Team Mac and Yao and losing the first two games, and my roommates were scared because I was throwing things, punching tables, and um, uh, the Jazz actually ended up winning that series. But um, uh, you know, just it just showed that like back then I was super emotional about the game, and um, I, I've turned a leaf, but still, I still love watching the jazz. It was a great thing. I think um, uh, Jared's talked about how he sort of missed those years because uh, he was in France at that, at that point. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I that's, that's accurate. Um, yeah. I still, I mean, I still love memo, especially like when I came home, that finals, that conference finals run had just happened. And, uh, you know, that's all everybody could talk about. I mean, but even then it felt like, like, the jazz like the city wasn't huge on the jazz for whatever reason like it it really took like donovan mitchell and rudy gobert for people to be like excited about the jazz again for whatever reason that's interesting do you i don't know i I, didn't feel like everybody had bought in i had seen seen a bunch of the games like um uh, when they jazz play that i believe warriors or the we believe warriors and um uh, Uh electric man um uh, but that team just um uh, it, it peaked early and, and never reached that peak again it was, it was a little sad they ran to the spurs bought buzzsaw and um uh, they could never oh, heights up you know just they, they were a young team for like a year or two and then after that they just played a played a style of basketball uh, that um, uh, just didn't work i guess i don't know they really ran into yes. that Laker team that had so much length with Lamar and and uh, Paul oh, Gasol. And, and Gasol, yeah, yeah, and, and that was just hard for that team to overcome because I think their their forwards, their front court was was Boozer and and Paul Millsap and Memo, and there really wasn't a, you know a, a tall an AK two, but it, that was kind of before before the AK whole stretch AK, four, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think everybody knows it's. It's a shame that he's not playing today because he would just be dominant. But um, and that was. I, I think that was the big thing. It was like two, three years in a row they lost to the Lakers. Yeah, it just felt like the Lakers kind of owned that team, unfortunately. Wow, uh, that that was like the I want to say what the O seven to O ten O eleven years. I guess not O ten, but O ten and eleven years. Um, uh, oh, 10, 10. 11. Hot ten, there you go. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, as I said before, the Jazz are on a little mini win streak. They got a big win, big win over the Clippers, and um, I don't know. It just it is crazy to me that, to call regular season games big this early in the season because uh, I mean, in, in the end, they all count the same. And it was nice for the Jazz to get a win against the Clippers. I mean, I want to make a tweet that said, "Hey, now that now we can forgive the Jazz for." losing to the Grizzlies or the, or the Kings, you know, um, because they, they, they made up, they, they made up a game, like a, a game that they probably were slotted to lose. They made it up. 
And, um, you know, that's they're back to a 52 or 53 win pace, which I don't know. I, I don't like to look ahead at the schedule. I It's just not how I watch the Jazz because inevitably the Jazz are going to lose. One game at a time, right? Well, the, yeah. the jazz, it's going to happen. The Jazz are going to lose a game that people have penciled in as a win. And if you yeah. look ahead, if you look ahead to it and you expect it to be a win and the Jazz just lay an egg that day, it, it hurts more. And I, I just, I, I really do. I just like say, all right, well, they won that game. They lost that game. Hey, they won that Clippers game. Awesome. On to, on to the Pistons, which unfortunately was like one of the games in the past few weeks I was able to watch all the way through. And oh my God, ugh. that was, well, that I was mean, like one I'm of the worst sure. games to watch of the season. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure Brian could attest to this, but you know, I had sort of penciled the, the Utah game. Uh, in as a win yesterday, and uh, man, I was you mean wrong. The, the University of Utah, <laughs> the U- U- University of Utah, yeah, the football game. Man, I was wrong. Well, and I there's a lot of reasons for that, you know. Okay, well, many so, different things can happen. Brian could break it down way better than I could. But. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little college football here because this was the Alamo Bowl. The the youth had just um uh came off a, a disappointing loss in what essentially was their playoff game against Oregon to get into the to maybe the playoff the final four. Uh to me, the Alamo Bowl, I would compare it to the NIT. Like if you're in the NIT, you're pretty disappointed when you first get into it. But um uh, this happened with Weber State, I want to say you know, maybe a decade ago when they got into the CIT, they got all the way to the final. Uh and if they had won that uh if, if and I think BYU got to the NIT final a few years ago too. If you if you win the NIT, if you win that those postseason tournaments that don't quote unquote count, it feels good for like that moment. But you know the very next year, if you forget about it, win or lose, it doesn't matter. And I don't know the Alamo Bowl felt that way to me. Uh, not being a you know a college football or a Ute fan, I don't know. Can you guys tell me if I'm right or wrong in that area? I'd, I'd defer to Brian on this because I'm, I'm uh, interested what his take on this. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's interesting. Basketball and, and football are so different in terms of how the postseasons are handled and everything like that. I think basketball's got a much better format, especially college basketball tournaments. Um, but I think it's definitely, you know, it's it, it, maybe it's a little bit comparable to the start of the jazz season where the expectations were so high. And because they didn't hit those expectations from the gate, it just felt like such a letdown to, to get to, like you said, the Alamo Bowl, which feels like an outlier. Um, you know, it's not a New Year's Day Bowl. It's not a college football playoff berth. It's not the Rose Bowl. It was honestly the the worst possible scenario of all the scenarios that Utah had set themselves up for. So, you know, I think um, it's I think you're spot on. With, with how you're saying it's, it's just, it was a consolation prize and um, they kind of played like it wasn't really that meaningful to them. Um, you know, kind of trying to parallel a little bit with the jazz, like, it, you know, you watch the jazz earlier in the year and, and the effort was there, but there was no click to it. Right. It, it seemed like it was forced. There was no rhythm. And I think that was one part about that Clippers game. that was so great is, and, and you know, to an extent, the Pistons later on in the second half, it felt like they're starting to find a rhythm and, and find kind of their groove and how everybody works and, and, and where things are working together. Um, and Utah had that for several games and then it just kind of turned off. So that's the part about sports. that's always, 
intriguing is why does that stuff happen? You know, why, why do turn teams take the random turns that they do? And I think, you know, especially for Utah at the end of the year, it was just a really bad turn. Yeah. Uh, I felt like, I felt like that, um, in particular, um, when they played against Oregon, just uh, some of the, I mean, we can, we can talk pac 12 refs and all that stuff. And, all that all that plays into it a little bit, but um, it just seemed like overall the for whatever reason Oregon had a little bit more juice, and I couldn't put my finger on as to why, but I, and I love the Utes, man. I really, I really uh, was were, was hoping for them because I really thought that they that that team that team deserved a lot more recognition than it got. Like in the like because now after this, people are gonna say, oh well, they really weren't as good as people thought they were, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't think that that's true. I think that they still got a lot of NFL caliber talent. You're gonna see a lot of guys go to the league and make some noise. And you know, I'm excited for those guys. I, and I think that to me, like people that don't understand um like why people follow sports i think for me more than anything it's a lot of times especially when it comes to you know my alma mater i get invested in those kids man and i just feel like i want to see them succeed at the next level you know i want to see them prove all their doubters wrong and I, I just i go that's something just i love to see Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you 100%. It, it's, I have a much different perspective now kind of working in the market that I want to see, I, I truly do want to see all the teams do well. It's it's better when things are successful for all the fan bases. I think, honest to be honest with you, I think it starts with the Jazz, and then it kind of goes from there. It was great to see Weber State have a good year in football this year. Um, mm-hmm. Basketball-wise, it looks like Utah State's trying to have a pretty good season. Same with BYU. Uh, Utah's basketball team seems to be a little bit, you know, young and inexperienced. And so they're having their peaks and valleys with that. Um, but it's just like, like this state is so invested in sports, like Jared said, and it's, it's, I, what's the unique part about the jazz fan base is they, they, we get so emotionally attached to not just the jazz, but the players themselves. I think Ricky Rubio is a good example of that, right? Where it's, Clearly, he had his flaws, and, and the team was probably not going to be as successful with him playing, but he was really loved and, and appreciated by the fans here. Uh, Rick, Ricky Rubio is Jared's trigger word, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Brian, I, I appreciate you. Brian has listened to enough episodes. He knows how this goes. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. I'm, uh, you. I'm uh, bringing this back around to the jazz because, you know, we are a jazz podcast, and I, I want to kind of look at the, the – um, I mean, the Jazz have won eight of the last nine, right? The Jazz had that, I guess, quote-unquote, awful loss to the Thunder uh, early in December. You know, the, the loss where people were just couldn't believe it. Uh, the Thunder are, like, seventh in the West, and they've had, had had a really good month of December. Like, it's not a bad loss anymore. Someone posted that um, the best winning percentage in December was the Thunder. So something that looked like a bad loss at the time is not a bad loss at all. Like, they lost to a, playoff, a young playoff team. Uh, playoff caliber team, at least, you know, uh, not something that was, but ever since that game, the jazz did go on a, a, a little win. They, they lost one game to the heat, but were very competitive. Um, did they did they have to win that the Mavericks, the thunder, thunder, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, they've had some, they've yeah. strung together some good wins. Yeah. And then they're still seventh in the West, like a team that 
really wasn't supposed to be competing for anything. Um, but here they are. I'm yeah. Gonna, you know, I, yeah, a team that everybody had penciled in is selling all their assets. Right. You know, like, to rebuild. People, people were trying to figure out where Chris Paul was going to go, but look at it. Look at them now. Um, but yeah, so the Jazz had some wins earlier in that win streak. The Hornets, the Magic, the Hawks, um, that the Jazz didn't put away early. The Warriors, uh, the Jazz didn't put those guys away early. Um, and then the Jazz made the trade for Jordan Clarkson. Uh, and if you, for the fans of the show who listened to the last episode, uh, we also, we obviously had different opinions about, um, uh, Jordan Clarkson and, um, <laughs> I mean, it's still probably too early to tell, but Jordan, I agree. Clarkson, it's too um, early uh, to tell. Jordan Clarkson off the bench has, has basically been exactly what I think both of us said he was going to be. <laughs> he's, he's a scorer and that's what he is. Like he, he scores, he scores in bunches and sometimes he'll put up some shots. He's like, Oh God, like. But, but then again, yeah, now, he takes some, he takes some questionable shots. But now the Jazz least. have a guy like, like there are times when, when Jordan Clarkson scores where he gets the ball with like four seconds left on the shot clock and there's, there's nobody else on the floor that's going to do anything. So you give it to him there and he, he'll make something out of it. So, um, it's interesting to see what will happen. Um, cause I, I've been kind of on this kick now because I think the Jazz have, five or six legitimate guys who are really good in ISO and uh, pick and roll that they don't need to have uh, a motion offense anymore. I think the jazz offense the last few years relied on emotion offense because the supporting cast was Kyle Korver, Jay Crowder, Ricky Rubio. Now the jazz have Bojan Bogdanovic, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Colley, Emmanuel Moutier, Jordan Clarkson, all guys who are really good with the ball in their hand and can create, uh, create opportunities. Um, that are not uh, always uh, present in a, in a motion offense. I don't know. Like uh, I, that's just. I, I think there's a lot of ball handlers uh, for the Jazz right now. Um, yeah, and I think we'll still see some some of those elements. I mean, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, so Brian, um, everybody's heard our um, uh, take on Jordan Clarkson. How did you feel about the Dante X and Jordan Clarkson trade that night? Uh, well, I mean, we talk about trigger words, and, and I think Dante Exum is, is probably one of, of mine <laughs> that most people know. Um, I think between myself and Justin Sweeney, there's been an argument about who truly founded uh, Exum Island. Um, <laughs> my receipts come back from, like, G- uh, April of 2014. Um, but I think it was a move that the Jazz needed to make. It's, it's clear that Clarkson does much better with that second unit. You know, he's, he's a tremendous ball handler. He's excellent in the pick and roll. Like you were saying, who, um, and, and the other thing that he does is he, he, he makes that, that secondary group like move. I mean, there's so much more motion to the offense when he's on the floor. And, you know, it's, it's great to have a guy out there. That's a true creator. I, I'm trying to think, you know, in the past 10 years, if the Jazz have had somebody like him with his skill set. And it's, I mean, there are just not a lot of guys out there where they can create their own shot almost, you know, out of, out of nothing. And like Jared said, it's not a great shot all the time, but it's a shot and it's an opportunity. And I think a lot of times that's better than a turnover or a wasted possession. Absolutely. And and the Jazz, the Jazz were... The Jazz were definitely feeling that early um, uh, uh, in the season, and I know it's only been three games, and you know we, we, we're bound to see some questionable uh, Jordan Clarkson games where it's just like he's just chucking up things that you know ba- barely hit the iron. 
because uh, that's just Jordan Clarkson's game. Um, it's actually interesting. At work, I ran into two people. One was a Laker fan. One was a, I, I assume she's a Jazz fan. She didn't say it, but she talked about the Jazz very uh, fondly. Um, and their names were Andy and Regan. If you're Andy and Regan, if you're listening, this is your shout out. Um, uh, but Andy was a Laker fan, and I, we were talking about Jordan Clarkson and the trade. And he's like, well, you know where Jordan Clarkson learned those um, uh, bad habits? He learned it from Swaggy P, Nick Young. And I go, oh, my God, I can see that. I can see a lot of, like, <laughs> like just, like, what Jordan Clarkson does. In, like what Swag- Swaggy P is a guy that I, I know a lot of my podcast mates from the, net, the network are wondering why Swaggy P doesn't have a job right now. It's because the guy's guy, all he does is try to score. He doesn't do anything else. And, um, dude, that, that, that gif. That where he like where he's like celebrating and the yeah. ball rims out. That is like that is peak the epitome. Swaggy. Yeah, the epitome. It's like the epitome of Swaggy P. <laughs> like I, I would love to see him in the big three, but I don't think Swaggy P can help a legitimate contending playoff team. Now Jordan Clarkson, uh, we'll see. I, I, again, like I, I think there are going to be games that, but it, the early returns, I guess people will say, I'm like, I'm like, all right, he's bringing the scoring punch that the Jazz sorely needed sorely needed yeah. you know yeah. uh that that punch off the bench um uh yeah, with the addition yeah. uh, Ty the... Corbin scoring punch off the bench <laughs> <laughs> With that, um, uh, with the addition of Jordan Clarkson, we we saw Jeff Green get waived, and that moved um uh, George Yang into uh the backup four role, um. And I, I am sure you guys saw this on Twitter. Uh, a contributor to a, a blog site had said something like George, that: "George Yang is not was one of the worst oh players goodness. in the NBA." Oh, Which, yeah. to, so here's the thing: he wrote it in the first half when uh, the Jazz were having an awful half. Wait, is Clark still a contributor at the Dunk? I don't even know if he not is the Dunk, anymore. not the Dunk, uh, South City Hoops, but oh, yeah. um, but yes. And the, the, here's the thing, George Yang, he kind of goes and looks for his name on Twitter. And um, uh, the thing is that nobody uh-huh. is really right or wrong in the situation, you know? Like, I, I think, I, well, to, in my opinion, I think uh, the Twitter user has a right to make a uh, a judgment on a player. It may not have been the nicest judgment, but that is their right. And this is a, a, a gentleman that has a following. He's not he's not just a random Twitter user. He has a following. He writes for one of the respected jazz um, uh, jazz adjacent sites, I should say, not not affiliated with jazz, but jazz writes about the jazz. Adjacent. I like yes. that. I like that verbiage. And so, um, yeah. So it's it's not like it's, I, I don't think the Twitter user is a, a, a dumb guy, but. You know, George Yang does kind of take things personally like that, and it, I thought it was kind of interesting that because George hasn't been awful. Well, he hasn't been great. <laughs> He's been kind of there. Um, I oh, guess we I we need we need to ask Brian if George has a publicist. <laughs> <laughs> he agreed to do our podcast once upon a time, Brian. George Yang, but did, um, we don't know how say. to get a hold of him. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm, uh, I, like, yeah, part of the that, if you're trying to go through Jazz PR for that one, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that's what was what's gonna happen is we'll get stonewalled. Right. So, um, <laughs> uh, with, Rudy Gobert has good defense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with Jeff Green being waived, George, um, uh, one of the it. reasons, 
that Jeff Green got waived is because um, uh, they wanted George Yang to play more power forward minutes. Uh, what have you guys seen in the three games that uh, George has been the primary four, basically? Well, I think he doesn't look as much of like a fish out of water. You know, I think he's still adjusting and still improving, but I think he looks he looks somewhat better. Uh, but people are still mad at him and mad at his game and whatever. I, but honestly, I don't. I mean, this is a guy who we have built basically built up. Like he was a second round pick for us back in the day, and we've developed him. I think he's still. I think he can still be good for us. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna say he's gonna be a world beater, you know, and he's gonna win Finals MVP or some craziness like that. But I think that you know we've seen some improvement from him. He's one of one of the best shooters on the team. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I wasn't expecting in three games a complete transformation. So I'm just gonna keep waiting and seeing with George. Yeah, I think where he plays, it, it negates a lot of his just limitations that that are naturally with his game. You, especially with Jazz fans, you see Paul Millsap, you see Royce O'Neal, you see all these second round darlings that we've had over the years, and the expectation is that suddenly George is going to become this uh, like leaping, bounding, quick footed, you know, elite wing player and. That's just not who he is. I, I think he's worked really hard to try and lose some weight and gain a little bit of quickness, but he's always going to be limited from a foot, foot speed perspective, and he's never going to be a vertical threat like Jeremy Evans was or, or some of the other. You know, Joel Ballenboy is another one that comes to mind where he's just crazy athletic, but he's got some skills. He's a good shooter. Um, he handles the ball pretty well, but I just think he's a better matchup as a four than he is out there trying to play on the wing, like Jared said. And, you know, it's, I think he's more comfortable there. Um, I think it's clear, you know, he, he's an interesting guy. He's very charismatic. He does a lot of work with the broadcast team, the summer league. You know, I think he's a big part of the team chemistry wise. Um, and, and those kinds of guys, you want them to be comfortable and feel like they're included in the team. And I think he's a much better fit at the four. Yeah, and I mean, because uh, that, that was talked about uh, right around when uh, Dr. Nason was traded, is that, that George Yang has been playing out of position, and so playing him at his natural four might help him help out a little bit. Yeah, and I, you know, yeah, I, I think, think... I think that was Tony that mentioned that. Yeah, and I think the Jazz are probably still going to be looking for other guys to add to this roster. Um, I don't know how many of your listeners have watched the Stars game, I know that there's a lot of good young talent down there. Uh, as somebody who does a lot of production work for the Stars, I mm-hmm. don't think any of those guys are going to be contributors this year. Just, uh, you know, my own opinion, but I, I don't think any of them are the type they're going to contribute. And so I think the Jazz will probably still look for players to add to this roster in one way or another. And, you know, if you can get an athletic, uh, you know, springy, ninth guy and add George into that mix and maybe even let him play a little four or five, that, that really makes him a matchup nightmare for other teams. And that's that's when you start really finding success is when teams have to change what they want to do to match up to what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Mr. At Brown Bear SLC, you must not know how to use Twitter. I've seen Jazz <laughs> Twitter talk about how the Salt Lake City Stars team could do much better than whatever the bench the Jazz have now. 
That was <laughs> that was like two weeks ago. That, so, um, so uh, one man. one thing I do love about Jazz Twitter is they are great at reading box scores. <laughs> Don't know how many of them actually watched to start the game. That is, yeah, that is, uh, yeah. And Jazz Facebook is the same way, like, but but oh, to yeah, a worse sure. degree. Well, oh my have, goodness! I mean, we talked about the jazz bench at length at this, uh, on this podcast. And, um, like, and you know, we've done episodes where we've talked about the, the draft picks, like Joel Brantley, Mia Oni. Um, and like, I was a big Joel Brantley guy. Cause I thought he, you know, just his body was just built for the NBA. Like, like, Oh, this guy, you know, he, you know, Jay Crowder is the easy comparison, but like the guy's built, you know, like he's strong, but I didn't know how skillful he was. I wanted to see it. And doing it in the G League is like that the guy that they, they just took, Rajon Tucker. Yeah, he's a, he was a great G League darling, but I mean, I think there's a reason why he was a G League darling for as long as he was, as opposed to being on an NBA roster. He he may not be ready to contribute, you know, 15 minutes game off the bench. But um, that's why I was afraid that the Jazz were doing a lot of moves with his exit trade. Uh, a change for sake of change, and I don't know. That that's just uh, uh, it felt a little uncharacteristic of Dennis Lindsay to make a move kind of hastily because this kind of this trade came came out, out of nowhere almost. So, um, but it's working out. So you know, let's let's see. I mean, it's a soft schedule, but so far so good, I guess. I really think it, a lot of it is that it definitely helps us weather the storm with the fact that we don't know we could be missing calmly for another three weeks or so who knows i don't even think i don't think there's a timetable it's it's uh yeah and, and, yeah. yeah and i'm uh i i feel bad because like you know jared and i have talked about the segment i did one time called facebook who where i just kind of railed on jazz fans who were being ridiculous at the time uh but some of their concerns have come to light because mike conley you know he got he has a soft tissue injury you know a hamstring issue uh, is is hard to get back from and i don't know if age is a factor because every injury is different but he is at you know age 31 32 more susceptible to injuries and his recovery time yeah. uh maybe longer because and i don't know i'm not a doctor i can't tell you that that's the case right now but you know let's just read the tea leaves i guess and say that that may be part of the case you know well well ricky rubio had a hamstring issue too so no, I, again, it's every injury is different. You can't just say, "Oh, it's a hamstring yeah. issue." Boom, it's going to be you know, yeah. it, it changes for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, Adrian Peterson tore his ACL and was back in the NFL the next season, running, uh, running. Yeah, that was that right. was insanity. So, some guys. There's just, a reason he won Comeback Player of the Year. Right. That was so crazy. Um. So I'm um, uh, Brian here. Uh, I had a, a, a host of a Kings podcast uh, DM me the other day, asking me, "Hey, who are the Jazz targeting in trades?" And I, I think he's trying to unload Dwayne Dedman. But um, uh, <laughs> like yeah. the Jazz have the Jazz have given up a lot of their assets. Dante Exum gone, two first round picks uh, to the Grizzlies gone. Uh, you know, basically every tradable contract they have is is gone, except for Mr. Ed Davis, who has. Uh, with the trades, with um, uh, uh, the waving of Jeff Green, has kind of found himself from uh, not getting getting a couple of DMPs, uh, coaches' decisions. Uh, Tony Bradley's been playing more, um, and I don't think this is you know we're not saying Ed Davis. We've actually been very pro Ed Davis on this podcast, um, but it does look like that he's not fitting well with the system. He he does look lost out there. 
you know, what, what he does well has not been utilized very well by the team. Um, and that's, that is one extra contract that could possibly be moved. Um, uh, but is there, I mean, I, I know I should have gave you guys what, some what are your thoughts, Brian? It's, uh, it's a nice thought, you know, <laughs> um, I don't want to say that it's one of those situations where you're overvaluing your own player, but, uh, I just don't know how much trade value he really has. Um, I think most teams are going to take the position that, well, if you're trying to trade him, that means you're probably going to waive him at some point, then we can just swoop in and sign him then, or, you know, pick him off of waivers. Like, and the other part of it too is we saw it with Jeff Green that they cut Jeff Green and he went through waivers and there really hasn't been much interest in him. I don't think there's a lot of teams that are in the market to pick up minimum salary guys right now. I, I would wager that most of the conversations are about the bigger pieces. You know, you mentioned Dwayne Dedman. I think he's a guy that probably would fit this roster well, to be honest with you. I know he's a guy that the Jazz probably had some interest in. And and you kind of wonder if if maybe um, things hadn't worked out with Boyan. If maybe he was another guy that they were looking at chasing in, in terms of those package players, um, I wish I had inside information on those ones for you. I don't, um, but I think um, you know, I, I, Ed, it's tough for Ed because he comes into a new system. Um, he's the new guy here. He's trying to replace Derek Favors, who's now playing great for the Pelicans, and then he gets hurt, and that puts him even further behind in his development. And so now, as a veteran you're pressing and you want it to click. And, and so you get out there and you feel so lost and disconnected and you probably haven't felt that even since you were a rookie in the league. And so you, you kind of wonder what is it that you can do as a staff and as a program to help get him engaged somehow. So is it, let's, let's have him sit down and watch, you know, I noticed the other night he was sitting right next to Alex Jensen and the rest of the coaching staff. So maybe that's part of it. And and maybe in the meantime, you're just having conversations behind the scenes. I just, I don't know, you know, outside of maybe teams that are in contention, I don't know who really wants Ed Davis. Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, because Ed Davis is on a very friendly contract. He signed the mini MLE. So it's, it's about $5 million a year. So that's a little bit of salary the Jazz can play with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just looked up like Deadman's contract. Like I wonder if the Kings would just because I, I know that Dwayne Deadman has fallen way out of favor with Kings fans at least. Well, and, he asked um, uh, for a trade, so publicly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's never yeah. a good thing, right? When he's out yeah. there, like, yeah, trade me. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah and it's I. I heard about the. Well, I don't know if they made the decision on the repercussions, but they're like, yeah, you, you're not allowed to publicly say trade me <laughs> yeah. you know uh, unfortunately i'm a deadman makes three you know as a three-year 40 million dollar deal so the money yeah, doesn't no way. Quite we're not interested yeah. in that money yeah and um, uh, aaron baines is another guy that um uh today has his name has popped up in rumors as another guy that jazz has wanted around off-season time um before like all the before boyan basically tied up the rest of the, the jazz offseason money. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the jazz are, are low in assets, but uh, what do you guys think? Um, uh, why, why has it been tough for Ed Davis to transition for this jazz team? Like um, his, his rolling has never been great, but God, it, it doesn't feel like it's ever been this bad. And um, uh, he's always been a pretty good uh, defender and rebounder. And this year just on defense, he just, he's just never 
feels like he's in the right position uh, for for his, his medicine that he plays. Um, is there is there a reason, or like do you think just just doesn't fit? My opinion would be that a lot of times the other players try to treat it treat him like he's Rudy back there and just funnel everything to him, and you can't do that with any player besides Rudy that I can think of. <laughs> um, and so I, I feel like he gets hung out to dry a lot, and that that makes it look like he's playing even worse than he is. Um, so the, I mean, there's that. And then I think that when it comes to offense, all I was really expecting from him was putbacks and dunks and, you know, rebounds. And he's one of the only players I feel like gets offensive rebounds, um, for us. But yeah, I, I definitely don't, don't hate Ed Davis. I feel like a lot of times he's put in a situation where it's not really a win-win for him. Brian, do you think the do you think the Jazz are better off from uh, trying to work through the Ed Davis, um, the Ed Davis problems, or to um, uh, uh, to keep going with Tony Bradley as they have when in the last two games? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Thank just, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Point for who? Nice job. <laughs> we'll tally these at the end, right? Yeah, that's um, for sure. No, I, I mean it's if 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 you're the Lakers, you can cut bait with whatever player you want, whenever you want, um, and and nobody's really gonna. Maybe Lakers are a bad example, um, but if you're one of those more elite teams, you can just cut players and move on, and nobody's really gonna question you. Where it's the Jazz, and this is kind of their new foray into being able to sign those, you know, talented veteran free agents, I think you really need to work at it and you need to try and make it work. Um, and so it's the other, the other part about it too, is that as jazz fans, we got to see Derek favors for so long and he was the backup. And you look at what he's doing as a starter in new Orleans and you realize, okay, like he's maybe a top 20 center in this league, maybe even top 15. And that was our backup. Like it's kind of hard to compare Ed to what he was doing. And so I think it's just a time thing as much as anything. Yeah, and I, I uh, a lot of people who try to compare Derek Favors to Davis, like I, I, I try to remind them, like, well, you have to remember that Derek Favors is a sixteen or seventeen million dollar player. Ed Davis is a five million dollar player. There's a reason why there's a big gap in those salaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Jazz, um, uh, the Jazz also, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Jazz also um, uh, had a bunch of minimum players: Jeff Green, Emmanuel Rudier, and yeah, that stuff is hard. And, um. Yeah, I, I don't know because Tony Bradley has looked okay in his games. Like earlier in the season when he was forced to play, I was like, "Wow, we're gonna have good Tony Bradley games and bad Tony Bradley games." Um, and I don't and know if they. Yeah, he's been mostly stabilized. He's pretty yeah, pretty like stable. like I'm a the guy the guy fouls every chance he can get, but <laughs> um, uh, he, I mean he gets a lot of fouls. I mean it's not it's not really on him, I guess, but um, uh, he fouls a yeah. lot. And um, uh, I, I just wonder because he, he's a, he's he's a very good rebounder. Um, he's not he, he doesn't have the greatest hands, <laughs> but he he's rolling better than Ed Davis had. And uh, I think you're right because maybe Ed Davis is not used to being you know the drop bigs 
and having everything funneled to him, he's he is out there trying to uh, guard perimeter a little more because uh, that's probably what he's been used to his whole career. Portland, oh. New Jersey, or Brooklyn, and all the other stops he made. And uh, yeah, it it's hard. Like we we talked about with Mike Conley. Like Mike Conley was doing something for twelve, thirteen years, comes to the Jazz and has to learn and do something completely different. And so um, uh, yeah, it's, it's harder for some players to adjust. And I think the other thing about it, too, is that he's playing with a second unit that's also trying to learn. Like, we talked about George's struggles, and, and Emmanuel Moutier's had the same problems where he's trying to adapt to a new role. The only guy that's really been seamless of the new additions this year has really been Jordan Clarkson, and Boyan, obviously, is a starter. I, like He's been incredible. So, But he's just a cyborg or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. He played through the ankle injury and just, like, like it was nothing. Yeah. Who would have thought Craig Borjack in a mask would be so good? You know, so. <laughs> that commercial was so good, man. That was so well done. As uh, as my friend, as my friend, I'm a uh, dragon squatch would say on Twitter. Anytime that Boyan does something good, he, he types that Bojner, which I think is a uh, Boyan Boner, I believe. So, oh, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but it, it is interesting that with them, uh, Donovan's like played the last couple of weeks, like Donovan's rise in his play has resulted in a decrease in Boyan's uh, uh, play. It's kind of weird how that's worked out that way. You know, I wasn't expecting that to happen. <laughs> so I really uh, don't know. This brings me back to my original point. Like I'm a, a lot of those like Boyan last year got to run the offense with Victor Oladipo. Like he was a guy yeah. that, you know, if you guys remember back to the Milwaukee game, uh, when the Jazz played in Milwaukee without Rudy, uh, they made that game really competitive near the end. Um, and the very last play sticks out in my mind because uh, that quarter, Bogdanovich had just gone off. He was having a great game. Uh, Donovan was having a pretty good game too, but was I mean, I think if I had to pick, I would say that uh, Bogdanovich was having a better game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to run a pick and roll at the last, like Boyan's at the top of the, key, top of the, the two-point line, giving a screen to Donovan, and Donovan just weighs him off and then went to him a, a drive and got blocked by Brook Lopez at the end, and, and they, they lose the game. The Jazz lose the game. Um, and it's just one of those things that number one is feeling him out, you know, like both those guys are probably alphas who are used to, you know, like, Oh, last 20 seconds, I got the ball, you know, let me create. Um, they talked about how in the first Milwaukee game, you know, Donovan um, uh, was like, all right, I'm going to go here. And Mike, Mike was supposed to get the ball someplace, but they decided to, to change it up and, um, uh, uh, and do it. And again, these are, you know, Conley, uh, Donovan, uh, Bogdanovich now are probably three guys who are used to being the guy in the last 20 seconds. And it's probably not a, a bad thing in the long run, but it is something that I think it's going to take them a little bit to learn. Like, oh, hey, this is probably the better play to run right here as opposed to a dot of an ISO. You know, so so it, it's a learning curve. And um, uh, luckily, Donovan has been playing, has, has gone nuclear the past couple of weeks because uh, – and maybe Boyan is just deferring more. Maybe maybe Boyan's like, and maybe Boyan and Donovan and uh, Mike are guys that need to get up a certain amount of shots to get comfortable to get in rhythm. Uh, on NBA 2K, they're called volume shooters, you know. Mm. Uh, and right. I mean, I mean, maybe that's the reason I like Donovan's just being so good is getting all the touches, and so Boyan can't really. He he's not he's not just a spot shooter. He's a guy that wants to be able to drive. Wants to be able to, um, uh, you know, 
run pick and roll and be a spot up shooter. And so that could be a reason why uh, Bogdanovich has not been as, as effective. Yeah, uh, I feel like he needs the ball a little bit more, but sometimes it feels like he loses the ball a lot. So I don't know. I don't know. And and like we, we talked about this with uh, Moody and Clarkson. I was like, oh, well, if Moody is not playing well, you just pull him. And I, I think with NBA guys, like these guys have been uh, the top of their level for yeah. so many years, like, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich. with their egos. Yeah, but their egos and, like, just their play. Like, Donovan spent the last, you know, 12, 14 years being a guy that had the ball a lot. Bogdanovich, yeah. you know, is, is a guy that had the ball a lot. Like, you, you want to get a feel for that ball. You, you want to have that ball in your hands. And so, you know, having a lot of great offensive creators could be a detriment. Um, you know, maybe you can't have all three go off at the same time because, you know, mm. Mike Conley is – being forced to play more playmaker as opposed to playing his game and getting into a rhythm. And then like those, you know, I, I haven't looked like maybe last year, Mike Conley started off slow every game, but like second half, like Donovan, after he got a feel for it, put a lot of shots up, he would start to get there. That's just a theory. I have not, I have not checked it out at all. So I'm just saying, mm-hmm. uh, Brian, what do you think, Brian? No, I thought you made a really good point when you're talking about Boyan, Mike and Donovan, were all used to being, the the office for their teams and and for all three of them that's been for a playoff team and so I think it's it's a lot like when you saw LeBron and Dwayne and and Bosch all come together they're trying to learn how to mesh their skill sets and when you've been a ball dominant player and you're trying to merge that with two other ball dominant players it's it's learning to play that role and and how do I integrate what I do well with what you do well and who takes the lead when and all that kind of stuff and I think you know, it's the ego aspect is is always tricky. The, these are good dudes, and and the, you know clearly they all want the team to succeed. But you know, if you're going to be a lead dog, it also means that deep down inside you know that you're the one who can make them succeed. And so, um, the, the the part that concerns me, I think, the most is is not so much like who's getting the most shots in that because the Jazz are rolling right now. But what happens when Mike comes back healthy? You know, what do you do with the lineup? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that, I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, too, because, uh, like I said, we have three ball-dominant guys in the starting lineup, and it's like, well, there's only so many... Uh, this is the same argument people made when uh, Chris Paul and James Harden played together, and Russell Westbrook and James Harden together. Like, well, there's only one ball to go around, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And now uh, the Jazz feel like they're kind of in that same situation, and right now it's working out well because the Jazz are in the soft part, part of their schedule. I mean, the Jazz played one of the, one of the worst halves in the history of basketball, in my opinion, like that I've seen personally against the Pistons, against the Detroit Pistons. and luckily the Pistons are going to piston right now because they're, they're racked with injuries and are just not a good team. And the Jazz were able to, the Jazz actually blew them out in the, in the second half, which yeah. was kind of weird, weird to see. Um, oh, can I just say this? Like anybody who still wants to trade for Blake, it's like, why, man? He's like a shell of his former self. He's making it, forty million a year. Oh Ugh. wait, wait! Blake didn't play that game, did he? No, yeah, no, I know, so, yeah. but, but well, no, but I'm just, it's just okay. like if you've seen him at all this year. All right, like, now Ugh. it's time for it's, it's time for me to play devil's advocate again. Pinball okay. machine, bing, 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 bing. All right, so uh, a lot of people have talked about getting a a big man that can roll to the basket for the Jazz, and I mean a starting lineup of insert point guard, you know, Moutier, sure. Uh, Mitchell, Bogdan- Bogdanovich, or uh, Griffin and Gobert. I mean, 
it doesn't sound bad, but uh, I mean, I, I get, I get what you're saying. It's, it's not, you know, Blake Griffin's loss, but man, but Blake Griffin last year was really amazing. And I don't know if he's just not motivated. When he played. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's an problem is he, do, he never plays. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I, I think I'm a, some guys when you're, when you're playing for a team that's not going anywhere, there's no reason to rush back from an injury versus playing for, Oh, a team that can contend and be, a Western Conference final team, maybe. So, yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, that's just me being devil's advocate. I don't know if like Griffin would be well, just. Well, I also not. just don't. I just don't see it. Like, I don't. I don't see any reason to look at acquiring Blake. Honestly. Anyways. I mean, it's, 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 kinda... it's the what, what worries me is that contract is really massive. Like, <laughs> I think I think Blake Griffin is still talented, and I still think he. I mean, I could. I could. If I squint, I can. S- make myself see uh, a a jazz lineup where I'm, uh, um, unfortunately the jazz have two really good small forwards and Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich. And it's like, well, you want both those guys to to start right now. So, uh, Brian, what do you think of what's going to happen when my colleague comes back? Cause right now the jazz starting lineup, Royce, Joe Ingles, Bogdanovich, um, uh, Gobert and Donovan have looked really good. Joe Ingles. I mean, it kind of looks like that he has to play with the starting lineup or, play with uh, Rudy and, and the roll bigs and all those guys. Cause he's just way more effective than coming off the bench. Uh, Roy's coming off the bench. isn't awful, but again, it, it doesn't solve the problem of having too many ball handlers and uh, score first guys. Yeah. And he's one of your best defenders. And I think that really helps set the tone a lot with when you're starting out and this theme has always been built around defense and they believe that defense travels. And so if that's really your philosophy, then I think Royce is a guy that you want to get as many minutes as possible. Um, but having said that, you know, I wonder how he fits in with Clarkson in that second unit. And, and if, you know, maybe having Clarkson and Moutier out there with Royce, maybe frees him up to make some of those shots in the second unit a little more frequently. Uh, he's a guy that Tony Jones talks a lot about this. He's very self-aware. And he knows what his game is. He knows what the skill set is. And I think that, you know, having all that together really helps him, you know, know that, like, I can hit this shot. I'm not going to take that shot because it's not one I think I can hit. Um, but it's, it, it's it, like, it's a good problem to have. But I just don't know, you know, like, Joe looks better when he's playing with good players. That's just the bottom line. And he's not a sixth man from a scoring mentality perspective. And, you know, maybe now that Clarkson's out there and he, you know, he can kind of get him in the scoring mode and Joe can facilitate a little bit more that takes some of the pressure off of him. But it's just, it's one of those things that you're going to have to figure out and somebody's going to have to sit. And so I think it's just, I think with Royce and Joe, you have less of an ego situation, especially knowing that Joe started out the year on the bench. He's probably okay with it. Um, you know, the, the dangerous thing to talk about is, do you bring Mike Conley off the bench? But that's, you know, that's your highest paid player and that's a lot. And that's a guy who's always started, but I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. It's, I do not envy Quinn Snyder at all. Yeah. I, I thought we, we've talked about this a little bit, uh, a little bit as well on this podcast, um, about Mike Conley playing more with the bench unit. Um, but the problem is that like, you know, Mike Conley's used to playing with guys who can finish and score. Like, I mean, besides Jordan Clarkson, I mean, boy, like, w- w- would Conley even look that much better? Um, uh, I mean, he would have his ball in the ha- his hand, his hands on the ball more with a second unit, and 
again, ego is is a huge thing. Like these guys are used to being the best of the best. Um, I don't know something. Uh, I, I've always considered being one of the first five players that are there at tip off. Um, overrated, but uh, some guys, this is a real pride thing. Uh, I, this is a thought that I'm, I'm forming right now. Maybe Bogdanovich is a, a guy that plays starter minutes. Like he can still start the game. Maybe he's the first one to check out, and then maybe he can primarily play with Moutier and Clarkson and and Bogdanovich. Like I, I don't know, I don't, I don't, Royce and Bogdanovich off the bench, not off the bench, but playing a lot of minutes with that with that second unit because Donovan's played with the second unit and. It's looked better, but it hasn't looked amazing, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah Donovan with the second unit seems kind of iffy. It, it uh, turns into the Donovan show, and that's not always very effective. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you guys make good points about all this stuff. I don't know that there's a clear-cut solution to any of it, but somebody at some point is going to have to take that secondary role and maybe if Boyan wants more shots or more touches, then that's a better spot for him. Yeah, that's a good point. Honestly, yeah. I, think I mean, he might be honest. Yeah, because yeah, um, uh, I mean, it has it's looked time fine. To tweet, make make sure you tweet uh, at the Jazz <laughs> account so they can let, let Quinn know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll send Angie an email. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> and so, because um, uh, the second unit with Clarkson and Donovan has looked better because it has it has given Donovan somebody else out there that can you know hit a shot near the end of the shot clock but um uh for like the first like the last like november december when donovan was out there with jeff green and Moody, it got it it had to be the donovan show because like the motion office just wasn't working it just was not and so yeah maybe if we can you know uh, the jazz can roll out boyan royce moodier um Moutier, I mean, this would have to eliminate Nyang minutes. I was, I would say, like if your second unit, like that second quarter, you know, beginning of the second quarter was Boyan and Royce, um, Jordan Clarkson and Moutier and Tony Bradley, that could work. I don't, I don't know if defensively that is great, but um, offensively it could work. And so we'll see. I mean, the Jazz on the offense defense scale are still a better defense team than an offensive team, but they're they're almost there. They're they're really close on offense. They just started off so badly, it's hard to make up for that. Yeah, you got to dig out of that hole. Thanks for listening to this episode. Also, thanks to our Utah sponsors, the Off-Broadway Theater in downtown Salt Lake and the Great Room Escape in Layton, Utah. If you have a second, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. It helps us podcast out, and we will enter all written five-star reviews into a drawing for free tickets to either the Off-Broadway Theater or the Great Room Escape. Just write a five-star review, and you'll be entered to win. Well, folks, um, uh, today uh, today was a pretty sad day, uh, New Year's Day. Uh, we learned that David Stern, um, uh, who suffered a brain, brain hemorrhage three weeks earlier, uh, had passed away today, died, died at the age 77. Um, David Stern was uh, basically the commissioner for, I would say most of our, our lives here, basically. Um, uh, he made the NBA a game that was very enjoyable to watch. Um, and I, I don't think any of us have anything. We, we don't know David Stern prop. Uh, personally, but do you guys have anything like personal that you would say about David Stern right here? Hmm. I know he didn't uh, like that Greg Miller was always driving around in Toyotas. 
<laughs> no, give us some context here. What does that mean? Uh, I, I have a connection that, that used to work in the NBA and um, he was at one of the league meetings representing the Jazz one time and uh, I guess Stern walked up to him and said something along the lines, where's Greg? Oh yeah, he's probably out driving his effing Toyota somewhere, huh? <laughs> but, um, hilarious. Yeah, no, I think that was very characteristic of who he was. He was not afraid to say what he was thinking, but he also knew what was happening with everything. Um, you know, it, I think when you talk in terms of like Twitter and the NBA, the real kind of tipping point for Twitter was the lockout. And I just remember, you know, him and, and Dwayne Wade going at it and Dwayne Wade saying, don't, don't point your finger at me and, and call me boy. You know, and and just at that moment realizing that that was probably the point where David Stern had hit his 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 time frame. I think is is the commissioner, and, and you know he he was always a focal point here in Utah. Came out for the finals, um, was here for the for the uh, All Star game in '92. You know, so I think anybody who grew up watching the Jazz knew who he was. I think it was really cool that he embraced the way the fans hated him, <laughs> you know? Oh, he was a very I thought that was awesome. Guy, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, that, was, just... that was awesome. Like, when the booze, like, when he would stop for the booze, like, <laughs> yeah, <that's awesome>. and <laughs> I, during I, the draft, he's just, like, basking I want to say one booze. time he kind of, like, called him on a little bit and was like, yeah, like, he's almost like a Palpatine out there, just, yes, I can feel your hatred. Yeah, we were posting that gif of him, like, yeah, waving it on, um, I saw a clip of him saying, um, uh, we have to tell our international audience that booing is a sign of respect here in America. And the crowd <laughs> laughed, laughed, laughed. Like, you know, it was just, Oh man. It's like, like when they, when they boo, I'm not sure why we hated him so much. He seemed like, I, I, I think later on it became more of just like, they were playing along. Like when people boo Roger Goodell, they really boo Roger Goodell, but Oh yeah. Um, that's, yeah. Uh, yes. I think with Dave Stern, they really were just kind of playing along to it now. Um, uh, well, he's the boss, you know. He was. He was an authoritarian, and you know, authoritarian for so long in the NBA. I remember when he instituted the dress code policy, and it's it's crazy how something like that has become so influential on how NBA players dress now. You know, because before it was Marcus Camby showing up in like four XL T-shirts and sweats and sitting on the bench, you know, and. Um, I remember the first game, Mark Cuban showed up in some like ratty old crushed velvet blazer that looked terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but now we got NBA fashionistas, man. It's yeah, for sure. It really changed everything. He came down hard and he was he was very um, unwavering. You know, he wasn't like Adam Silver is so much more. I don't want to say lenient, but he's so much more willing to hear, hear other people and empathize with what they're saying. David would listen to you and just tell you, yeah, but you're wrong. I'm going to do it this way anyways. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I think that was hard, but he also, he brought the NBA into relevance. I think his, his work with the NBA on NBC, you know, the round ball ruckus theme, all that kind of stuff. It's what really brought the NBA into prominence before that they were showing games on tape delay. So, yeah. 
his impact is immeasurable. You know, he was a, a very interesting individual. I mean, I do think it's kind of hilarious that a Jewish lawyer who was like five, five or five, six was managing all these enormous NBA players. But <laughs> it, it made for those draft day pictures to be, to be very, um, uh, uh, juxtapo- juxtaposed hilarious. So, yeah, but uh, he's, you know, he was, he was great for the NBA, I think overall, and whether you liked him or disliked him, he really left the league in a good place. Brian, um, uh, you've been really great. Um, uh, how did you start in radio? <laughs> um, boy, that's a, that's a funny question. I uh, so I mean, I grew up listening to the Jim Rome show. Um, yeah, I know that's two now, man. I <laughs> just racking them up. Uh, I grew up watching or listening to the Jim Rome show, and I used to kind of. I had a job where I was a delivery person. And I used to kind of host my own radio show when his would end. Um, but I've always just loved sports and, and sports center and broadcasting in general. And uh, went to school at Snow College, had a radio show there, uh, came home and, and kind of looked into doing blogging and whatnot and never really found any opportunities. So I kind of thought the dream had died um, and then had gotten a phone call from Steve Bartle over at Utah. And he said, hey, I would love if you could come help us out with some stuff. And um, that was about three years ago, and, and the very first thing he called me to do was uh, fill in for Bill Riley on ESPN 700 for a week, <laughs> and that was pretty wow. daunting. But yeah, um, but it was a blast, and uh, it reminded me of why I love doing radio and 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 all this. And so, you know, through ups and downs and different career choices, uh, you know, I always kept in touch with Scott Gerard and and Scotty. Um, you know, everybody knows who Scotty is. He's a voice of the Aggies. In market. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I mean, I hope that's not his lasting legacy because he's <laughs> such, like, like, it's not a bad thing, but um, he's such a huge part of this market and, and why there's so much backstory to sports radio and everything like that and why 1280 even exists. And he's a huge reason for it. And, he and I had always kept in touch, and he, he reached out to me at one point and said, hey, I have a producer position open up. I think you should apply. And, you know, like that was that was it. That's all I needed to know. And so I've been with 1280 for about, oh, let's see, about six months now. been able to do some pre- and post-games uh, with, with hands doing Utah football. I, I produce Stars games and Bees games as well. Um I'm starting some digital content, so you'll see some of our podcast stuff coming out soon. But uh, I just, I love, I love conversation. It's been so much fun to talk with you guys. Like, I think that's what's really great about podcasts. Like, people are going to listen to this, and and I can promise them they won't have nearly as much fun as the three of us have had today. Right? Um, Seriously, man. I, yeah. I always I always imagine people just yelling at me through the radio, going like, "Oh no, why'd you say that?" Because honestly, when I when I listen back when I edit this, I I yell at myself. So, <laughs> oh, why'd you say that? We um, all do it. We all do it. Right. Um. So when you went to Snow College, did you did you go into journalism? Going, okay, I'm going to be a broadcaster. This is what I want to do. Um. At the ripe age, I, how how old were you went to college? I guess. Uh, I assume. Uh, so. Yeah. So I was I was actually. Um, 24 at that point when I was at Snow. Um, I had graduated from high school. I tried to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. I, I had served an LDS mission and then come back home, started at the University of Utah, and then I realized that I wanted to walk on and play football somewhere, and Snow College was the best place to do it. And so I went down there and had a communications teacher that really pushed me into it, and 
you know, I think I remember growing up watching Keith, Keith Olbermann and, and Dan Patrick on sports center and just knowing that that's what I wanted to do in some way or shape or form. But it's, I think it's, it's one of those things where if you have a dream, stick to it. You know, I think Chase Serrano is a great example of it, but don't ever fully give up on things. Cause you never know when it comes back around, you know, I'm, I'm into my mid thirties now and I'm just kind of starting into my career. Um, but there are always going to be opportunities that open up. So just stay with things. Um, not that I have any, any, you know, platform to preach from, but just having gone on a very long journey to get to this point to, and, and the other thing that's caught up with us is technology. You know, like, like 10 years ago, there wasn't the capabilities to do your own podcast. They barely even existed. And yeah. so I think that's a really cool thing. And, and just, you know, get out there, do it. If you love it, you do it, get reps reps help a ton the more you do you know do these kinds of things and that's when jared reached out i was like yeah i want to do it and the more i can talk to people and you know converse and it's it's been a blast talking to you guys you guys have great opinions and and you know i think you've built a really cool following and it's something that i wish i'd had that idea four or five years ago so yeah i mean so they, yeah, they, they, they we, say we do too we we just started this like last summer, so we yeah. do, we do too. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they say thirty is the new twenty. So for everybody, because <laughs> like I mean we've had I've had basically I call them kids because like they're in their early twenties in college on the show, you know. And I'm like I'm like oh my god, you guys are young, but yeah, come on, <laughs> and we talk with them. And I've had people who are older than me, and it's just we're all kind of in that same area. And I, I want people to know like, hey man, like you can. I mean I love doing this. I mean I do this on my. I have one day off this week and I prep for the show, put it together. I'll be editing it tonight before and get up before I go work a double tomorrow, you know, cause I love it. I like doing it. Um, I love talking to people who are, are smart jazz fans and uh, who, who know the industry and know this and know stuff. And I, I like to get to know jazz Twitter because um, I, the reason I, I, I invited Jared on because Jared has been, I, I, I call him a jazz Twitter OG because that's how I started meeting everybody here, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah, and so um, um I, I'm sorry that um, uh, Jared didn't make the the next. Did, wait, Jared, did you make the next bracket or no? You didn't make the bracket, did you? I I don't care about those brackets, so I don't. Come know. on, <laughs> no, you I'm would serious, know, dude. Those you would are know so you made the bracket. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'd be probably tagging something. Yes, yeah, um, but you I don't. Be. Honestly, those things are so annoying. Like, <laughs> I, I I've been in one before, and I just feel like that they're. First of all, why are you being like, well, let's play a popularity contest and let's try to make somebody feel good about themselves and the other person feel crappy about themselves. And then it's like, oh, let's see how many people we can leave off of these things so that they're going to feel like, well, why wasn't I worth a mention on your bracket? You know, I just don't think that they're a good idea. That's just my two cents. Eric, crap, man, you you are ruining my my tease here. I was gonna, segment. <laughs> I was going to tease everybody that hey, coming up in, on a future episode, we're doing the 520 um uh, jazz Twitter bracket. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you just crapped all 520 over. people out of bracket. <laughs> Man, that would be way too much work for very little payoff. Who? Right. <laughs> yeah. so it was only for the joke. So I know, but <laughs> all right, still. Ryan. Um, uh, is there anything that you would like to partake on our audience? Um, uh, before we end the episode here about jazz, life, anything that um uh, you think people should know about? 
Ooh, no, also, no, no, no. upcoming projects also, even. Also, let us know, like, is there a certain show that you get to produce that we can uh, broadcast on 1280 we, we would catch you on? Uh, not right now with, with football closing up. I've, uh, we don't do the pre and post for Utah BYU games anymore. Um, I do have some stuff coming that I can't really talk about right now. Um, uh, yes. Okay. But it's I, like, I, I hope people will enjoy it. I think it's one of those things that if you grew up in Utah, this particular program has, has you know, had an influence on your life, probably from a very early age. Um, and, and I'm hoping that as, as things go and evolve, get, evolve, that we'll have more and more content to build out of it. Um, but it's just a junior idea right now that involves the jazz. So we'll see what happens with it. But, um, I'm excited. I, I, Sounds cool. I, I wonder if um, uh, things slow down because, um, as people know, I, I work part, like very part time. Like I'm on call with KSL Sports, right? And yeah. during the football season, like we're crazy busy. And now yes. that football, now that football is ending, it's like, all right, well, we still have basketball, but it's like, it's like, all right, we only had basketball. RSL hasn't really started yet. Uh, you know, there's no bees or anything. So, uh, it's like a slower part. Like, even though the jazz are pretty big, it slows down immensely. So I hope I'm, uh, I hope if that's, if it's, if that's the same case for you, I hope you're going to get a break soon. Um, uh, and, um, I, I know that you probably worked very hard the last um, uh, month or so trying to get Utah coverage up there, Utah university of Utah coverage up. It's, you know, it's, it's a fun job. And so I have no complaints. Like you talk about, you know, having to work a double and it's like when it's your job it's it's not work it's you get to do what you love every day and so i'm incredibly grateful that people actually care enough that maybe i have something cool to say and you know for everybody out there who's listening and thinking to themselves i could do a better job than this guy please like <laughs> go do it like i love it just saturate it. the market do, do it you know give it your best do your shot worst. And, yeah <laughs> you know like it's it's a fun job it's a lot of work there's a lot of things that you learn and you know, if it's something you're interested in, go for it. But more more than anything, just thank you to you guys for not only having me on, but for doing this and, and for giving jazz fans a platform. I, you know, you talked about McCoy. She's one of my favorite people. Um, you know, I listened to the, the episode you had with Ann and, and Gary, um, you know, and, or, uh, I can't even remember what Gary's real name is. No, Gary's a uh, unicorn. That's what we call him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's Matt. Yeah. And you know, Lex is, it's cool to see Lex get some opportunities with KSL and Unrivaled and everything like that because she's a great personality and um, you know it's fun. There's there's a great community here and I'm glad that you guys are giving people a voice and an opportunity. So good for you guys. Yeah, and man, we have so many great people in this community. It's just like these people deserve deserve a voice, and it's kind of cool that we've been able to you know try to channel that, and see what we can do to help them speak their mind. Right. Well, Brown, uh, you can follow him, Brian, at Brown Bear SLC um, uh, on Twitter. Uh, do you have Instagram or Snapchat or like? Do you want people to follow you? Uh, I, I, I don't know how personal yeah. you want to get here. <laughs> I don't post much on Instagram, but it's also at Brown Bear SLC. More welcome to follow. Um, like I said, I'm not really not even that interesting on Twitter, but I do tweet a lot, so. All right, yeah. So I just gave him a follow tonight. I'm a hey, Jared. Where can we find you on Twitter? 
He's at go the distance 49. I don't know where he went. <laughs> <laughs> He's at go the distance 49. Nice. He gets a week off from 49ers football this week. Cause they're on by. Um, uh, thank you folks for listening. I, uh, we love having Brian here. Such a great talk. Uh, had a great episode jazz play tomorrow night. Well, we were doing this on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, so the Jazz will be playing the Chicago Bulls uh, probably when this airs. So hopefully, um, uh, that's another win for the Jazz. We'll see. Mike Conley did not make the trip, um, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Hootran Superman. That's H U U T R A N Superman, or at Jazz High Notes. Uh, that's the Twitter page for the uh, and uh, I believe it's at Jazz High Notes on Instagram too, Jared. I'm, uh, takes care of most of our Instagram content there. Uh, Thanks for joining us, folks, and we'll see you guys next time.